0: turn it for good. You turn it for good every time. You take, you take what the
1: just loved uh, as my children were growing up and playing basketball in the driveway. it, It was real great when my son started getting a little taller and I could still dominate him and show him what it was all about. That old man strength backing him under the rim and slamming on him and taking him to the rec center and beating him in 21. I remember the last time I beat him in 21. I think that's the last time we played. He was... I think he was a 12th grader or something like that, maybe one year in college, and I took him to the rec center. We were playing at 21. I got to the last point. I was at the free throw line, and I remember this man's name, Michael Jordan, and how he closed his eyes and made a shot. And I really just wanted to put uh, just the hammer and the nail, I wanted to take the hammer and and just sealed the deal and hid the nails. So I said, watch this, Ethan. And I shot it. And I made it with my eyes closed. And I laughed and I ran. And he was standing like this. That's the last memory he has of playing basketball with Dad. That will forever be imprinted in his mind. I love basketball. And I'm a bigger college fan than... NBA fan, but I grew up in, in the 80s watching the Boston Celtics. That became my uh, team, Larry Bird. Anybody remember Larry Bird, Robert Parrish, Kevin McHale, Dennis Johnson, Danny Ainge? That's when it was, you know, it was almost like playing football back then when you were playing basketball. They would kill each other. You remember those Lakers and Celtic games where Kevin McHale almost killed uh, Rambus when he just threw him to the floor. I know I'm old, that's okay. And there have been many great players, you know. you, You know there have been many great players in the past and there's great players now. The game's a little bit different now. You can't touch anybody without getting fouled. You can't breathe on LeBron James. You know, there are great, great players like LeBron. You know, he's a great player. Kawhi. Luca, Steph. If you know anything about basketball, I don't even have to say their last names because they're good players, you know. And many people think that LeBron is the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Some people say Kobe Bryant. And, you know, you reserve the right to be wrong because we know who the GOAT is, Michael Jordan. He is the GOAT in basketball. And in basketball, you know, there are... Many different type of players, but there are teams that build around one or two superstars and they have role players filling roles. The role players are defensive specialists, offensive specialists, they're rebounding specialists. One of the greatest rebounders that I saw that played with Michael Jordan was Dennis Rodman. Now, he was a little weird. (laughs) Still is, but he was a great rebounder, man. He was a great rebounder. But the greatest rebounder of all time is Wilt Chamberlain. Over 23,000 rebounds. My Lord, 23,000 rebounds. His arms had to be tired. In one game, I think he had 60 rebounds. Now, he was taller than everybody else because that game back then, everybody was short and he was like eight foot, you know? He was very tall. So everybody in the game today is basically tall and they can get rebounds. But when it comes to rebounding, what makes a great rebounder in basketball? Is it the height of the person? Is it their arm length, their their hand size? I just want you to know right now, this is not a full-size basketball. It's an illusion. It is a youth basketball along with my youth rim. You see, we all had a problem. We couldn't get to God. God had to come to us. I had a problem. I couldn't get on a 10-foot, so I had one to come down to me. You know what I'm saying? And so I could. Some of y'all need to pull out your iPhone and put this on. And put it out there. Man, Pastor's got some ups. Just take the picture from here up. You know what I'm saying? My brother, when he was 16, he, he he was very short. He was like... Five ten, and we had these eight foot rims. It was full court, and he took all kind of pictures of him up over the rim and stuff. And we all knew that was illusion. But he didn't grow until he got out of high school. He grew six inches when he got out of high school, and ended up being about six four. And uh, I don't know why God played that trick on him, but he did. He waited until he got out of high school to get tall. But when you think about good rebound. You know, you can think about height, you can think about arm length, you can think about hand size, you can think about how much they weigh or how aggressive they are. But in order to be a great rebounder, the number one thing you need is this right here you need to possess the right mentality. You need to possess the right mentality. The right mentality for a great rebounder in basketball is this right here. I am going to play every play. I'm not going to take a play off and I am going to be aggressive. Rebounders make a decision. They make a choice to get the rebound. And today, that's what I want to talk to you about today, is developing the right mentality. You know what it means to rebound? It means to bounce back off of a hard surface. That's a rebound. Some of us over the last year, we hit some hard surfaces happening. And it's created this emotional roller coaster in us. We just, some of us went down and we stayed there. We didn't rebound. But today, I just believe God wants us to get off the hard surface and rebound. Amen? He wants us to come back all the way. Uh-oh. I <laughs> thought I would do that for you. I'll show you my skills. Why boys can't jump, but they can dribble a little bit. So we want to rebound. So we're going to read over in Proverbs chapter number 3. We're going to look at verse 20 and go through 23, and then we're going to look at Philippians 4. And verse 7, and we're going to talk about developing this right mentality that will cause us to rebound in life. And over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about this issue of rebound, this issue of bouncing back from life's most difficult situations. Because it doesn't matter if you're successful. There's going to be a chance or an opportunity in your life. You're going to have to rebound. Doesn't matter if you're a rich, poor, young, old, educated, uneducated, black, white, all of us will at one time or another have to rebound from something. And it's God's desire that we rebound. Proverbs 4, written by Solomon, the wisest person to ever live, he said this My son, pay attention to what I say, turn your ear to my words of God's Word, the Word of Wisdom. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart for they are life. Say life. life. To those who find them and health. Say health. Life. How many of you want life and health? Okay. Now for the rest of you, you're going to have to that. <laughs> Just get that. We all want life and we all want health to one's whole body above all else. He says Above everything in your life, look what he says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. I think it's the King James translation that says, guard your heart with all diligence for from it flows the issues of life. Can I tell you today, your employer, your spouse, your children, the people that have waited on you in restaurants, the people that serve you in our community, they do not create your issues. Your issues flow out of your heart. Solomon understood that. And he says, because those issues flow out of your heart, you must learn to guard your heart. Guard your heart. We all have seen difficult situations. We've all just come through one and we're coming out of one where there was mental anguish in our mind to the point that we felt like we were on mental overload. But Paul said in Philippians 4, 7, Look what he says. He says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What does it? The peace of God. What peace? The peace that transcends all understanding. Not the peace that the world gives. The peace that the world gives is a false sense of peace. The world defines peace as the absence of conflict or war. God's peace is inner tranquility and inner peace, meaning that there can be turmoil going on around me, but I am still at peace. I'm still at peace. You see, burnout is only permanent if you allow it to be. So today, we understand that great rebounders possess the right mentality. And all of us are going to be great rebounders today whether we're rebounding from a divorce, a financial difficulty, we've lost a home, we've lost a job, we've lost a child, we've lost a spouse, whatever that is in your life, God wants you to rebound. And you've got to understand that God is not against you. Religion will tell you that. That God is keeping you from life and health. No, God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Amen. you got to learn that God is for you. There is a story about this prophet. His name was Elijah. It's found in 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19 tell some unique uh, parts about the prophet Elijah's life. He saw many miraculous things, he, he, he just was an incredible man of God. He saw miracles. And in chapter 17, the first. Of kings, he prophesies that it's not going to rain for three and a half years. The problem with his prophecy was this right here that he had to live through his own prophecy. It was a self fulfilling prophecy. So for the next three and a half years, guess what? It did not rain. If you don't believe me, James, the half-brother of Jesus, in James chapter 5, says the same thing. Elijah, a man who has affections and passions just like us, prayed that it would not rain for three and a half years, and it did not rain for three and a half years. So when he prophesies this, a drought comes, and there's no rain, and God takes him to a place of provision, the brook Cherith. It was a creek where there was some water during the famine. And while he was there, he would drink from the creek or the brook. And every day, God sent a raven to bring him some meat. And he camped out there for a while until the brook dried up. How many of you know when your brook dries up, God has more provision for you? Amen. The brook dried up and God said, well, I want you to go to Zarephath. There's a widow there a lady who has lost her husband. She has a son. I've already commanded her to provide for you. He shows up, and a miracle happens in the widow's house because she welcomes the man of God into her house. How many of you know, when you welcome God into your house, your house right here, favor comes upon you. To the point that this lady's cruise of oil never ran dry, And her bucket of flour never was empty. And so you see this prophet in her house. He's chilling out. He's eating bread and drinking water. And eventually, her son dies. Her son dies. It was a tough situation. And she says, Elijah, have you come here so that my son would die? He prophesied the drought. God provided. And in the place of provision, there was great loss. At that moment, he raises the boy from the dead. The boy who was lifeless began to breathe again. In chapter 18, he goes to see Ahab. Ahab was the king. He talks to Obadiah. He says, tell Ahab, I'm here. And so he meets Ahab in chapter 19. And I'm just giving you some background. Just stay with me. We're going somewhere. Don't think about Chick-fil-A. It's not open. <laughs> I got my Chick-fil-A yesterday. Amen. Uh, it's not open today. But in chapter 19, he meets with Ahab. And there's this conflict between the prophets of Baal and the prophet Elijah. And Elijah tells Ahab, meet me on Mount Carmel. I've been to Mount Carmel in Israel. It is a fascinating place that overlooks uh, the valley of Armageddon. And on uh, Mount Carmel, there's a statue of Elijah holding a sword. He's like this right here. It's it's a wonderful thing. I have a picture of it, man, but I was about 30 pounds lighter then. I was younger. There was no white in but it was an awesome thing to see. He says, meet me at Mount Carmel. And 450 prophets of Baal go to Mount Carmel and meet Elijah on top of the mountain. And Elijah says, I'm going to give you a bull. You can, you can cut the bull up and you can sacrifice it to your God. And the God who answers by fire will be the true and living God. The the prophets of Baal, they cut it up. They put it on some wood. They were sacrificing to their God, and they were calling out to their, their God, the God of Baal, and he never answered. And Elijah begins to pick on him. Is he deaf? Does he not hear you? Is he not concerned? He begins to mock their God. And they get so tired, they begin to cut themselves, and over in the evening, they were wore out praying to a God that never answered. I believe sometimes we get wore out praying because we don't think God is answering our prayers. In fact, I believe we pray prayers that God's already answered. He just wants us to step out of faith. That's enough just to go home right there. And so Elijah comes and he rebuilds the altar. The Bible says he rebuilds that altar. Then he instructs his servants to pull water three times on the altar. and The Bible says the trench that was around the wood filled up with water. He puts the bull there on top of uh, the wood and he begins to pray. And all of a sudden, fire from heaven comes and consumes the altar. And then Elijah takes all those prophets and he slaughters them he desired for Israel to come back in right relationship with God. I want you to understand this. After he slaughters these prophets of Baal, Ahab is going to Jezreel from Mount Carmel. The Bible said, said that Elijah took his tunic and put it in his belt and he outran Ahab to Jezreel. He did that because the power of God came upon him. From Mount Carmel to Jezreel is 17 miles. That's a long way to run. Amen. I ran about a hundred yards yesterday. <laughs> Seventeen miles is a long run. He gets there, and Ahab tells Jezebel, his wife, How would you like to be married to a lady, man? Her name is Jezebel. That'd be weird. And so he tells his wife what happened, how the prophets were destroyed, and look what Jezebel does. She sends somebody to tell Elijah, by this time tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. And in verse 3 of chapter 19, I want you to look what happened to Elijah. It says, Elijah was afraid and he ran. Fear gripped his heart. Fear is an emotion that we feel when we've gone through some difficulties. And just like he ran from Mount Carmel to Jezreel, he begins to run from Jezreel to Beersheba, which is 100 miles. He was the original forest Gump.
0: <laughs>
1: this dude was running for his life. He runs to Beersheba and he looks around tells his servants to stay there that he was going further. And then for another day he runs until he's in the wilderness. And we see a man who had just defeated 450 prophets of Baal now running for his life because he's afraid. He tells the Lord that he's had enough. Have you ever felt like you just had enough? That you were at a breaking point? Elijah runs into the wilderness and he finds this broom bush and he sits down and he gets under it and he prays to the Lord that the Lord would take his life. What was wrong with Elijah? He was suffering from emotional burnout. He was tired. And God had a prescription for him. God said, I want you to sleep. I want you to eat and drink water. He tells him to do that three times. Then he tells him to go out and stand out in the presence of God. There's an earthquake. There's a wind, and there's a fire. God was not in the earthquake, the wind, or the fire, but in the still, small whisper. How many of you know, sometimes we want God in the earthquake, the wind, and the fire. We want God to do some explosive stuff. But I found out if I'll get quiet and turn off social media, turn off the TV, lock the kids in their room. (laughs) See, it's not that God's not speaking. Sometimes we're just on the wrong frequency. How many of you know there's a lot of frequencies coming through this building? You can't hear them unless you have a device that can take you to that frequency. Jesus said, My sheep know my voice, and they will not listen to another. So it's possible for me to get on the frequency of God and hear him in the small. Still, wonderful voice. Elijah was afraid. He became fearful that created exhaustion in his life. He should have never ran from Jezebel. He should have confronted her, but he ran in fear. There are many in here today, you're exhausted because you're running and you won't confront the fear of your life. See, fear is false evidence appearing real. Oftentimes, the things that we fear the most will never happen to us. Fear the most, it's never going to happen. Nigel was exhausted, emotionally drained. He was a burned-out prophet. Maybe you're a burned-out parent, a burned-out spouse, a burned-out employer, a burned-out businessman here to tell you, you can can bounce back by God's grace. How do we bounce back? Number one, we've got to guard our life by guarding our mind. The greatest battlefield in the world is not in cyberspace. It's not on the battlefields of different nations. It's not between Israel and the Palestinians. The greatest battlefield in the world is between our two ears. Amen. And we have to guard our minds. Paul told Timothy in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and And the sound mind. So we have to guard our minds. We have to keep our minds clean. We have to keep our minds from being plagued by those things around us. Why? Because my outer world is a reflection of my inner world. We spend our lives trying to change this out here. That's not the gospel. The gospel is inner transformation that brings outer transformation. Religion starts from the outside and works its way in. The gospel, the New Testament gospel starts inside and works itself out. Proverbs 23, 7 says this in the King James Version of the Bible. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Number two want ask you this question. How do we guard our minds? How do we guard our mind? Number one, you've got to make it a priority. you got to make it a priority. What are you letting into your mind? Did you know TV, social media, and all forms of media is discipling a generation? how because they're telling you what to think and not how to think. There was one time in education where they taught you how to think. Now, education is trying to tell you what to think. We're being reprogrammed. We've got to make it a priority. Look what he says. Solomon says, my son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. If we're going to make guarding our minds a priority, we can't do it outside of the word of God. If I never open the word of God, guess what? My mind's open to all sorts of manipulation and deception. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I don't know the truth unless I study the truth. The government understands the the way that they train their people to recognize counterfeit bills is not to show them counterfeit bills. They study real bills. And if you study the real word of God, you'll always recognize the counterfeit. Proverbs 4.23, above all else. Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The heart, the seed of who you are, the internal part of you that that God made in his image. See, when God created us, he created us as a spirit. You are a spirit being. You possess a soul and you live in a body. Most of us are more concerned about our bodies than our souls and our spirit. We put more money into our body. We power it up. We tuck it up. We straighten it up. We buy clothes to make us look, look good. We have gym memberships that we never use. <laughs> Why? Because we have this aspiration of making this look good because this is what people see. This is what people see but it's your inner world that people feel that's good. You need to tweet it. People see you, your outer world. But they feel your inner
0: world.
1: He said guard your heart. You make it a priority. Number two, you've got to make it a habit. Say habit. habit. A habit. Proverbs 4.20. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. Why? The words of God. The wisdom of God. He says, don't let it out of your sight. Make it a habit to get into the Word of God. Someone once said, we first make our habits, then our habits make us. John Maxwell said, you can't go uphill with downhill habits. Oh, man, that's good right there. You cannot go uphill with downhill habits. We live in a nation that... abhors success, and we want everybody to, to be at equitable levels. How many of you know, we, we shouldn't tower equity but equality. Hmm. This should be a land of equal opportunity, but you have to rise based on what you're going to put into it, your habits. Say, I, I don't think I can do it. it. It boggles my mind when I hear young people say, man, I just can't, I just can't do it. I can't go to college. I, I just can't do it. I, I can't succeed. You know why it boggles my mind? Because I watched my mom when my dad got sick and was ridden to a wheelchair for 20 years of his life. My mom, who had eight kids, went back to college when she had eight kids graduated at the top of her class with a nursing degree. Now we have teenagers that say, I can't do it. They've got cars, Lance Wall now once said it takes 15 years to become an overnight success. How many parents in here have ever realized that your kids want all that you have in one year? And they're going to rent a center and rent it all. Oh, I'm preaching good. So you've got to make it a habit. Three, the benefits of guarding your mind. Number one, it's life. We saw it. Proverbs says in chapter four, it'll bring life to your body, health to all your being. It'll bring life. John ten ten, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life, and life more abundantly. How many of you know? God's not against you having abundant life. That's why He sent Jesus. God's not against you having nice things and nice homes and money to be generous and to live good. He just doesn't want all those things to have you. God is a good God. How do I know that? James one seventeen. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. God's not the Unabomber. He gives good gifts to His children. He desires for us To experience life and to live life, but I know the quality of my life and the quality of my health is directly related to the quality of my mindset. I cannot rebound if with negative thoughts. I can't have a successful marriage with negative thoughts. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I can't have a great business if I have negative thoughts. I've got to learn to rebound. I've got to learn to get in the game. I've got to learn to play every play. I've got to learn to bounce back. I've got to learn to get it all. I couldn't get that rebound. See, when I shoot it, it just goes in. I can't help it. That's how good I am. That's my son. I'm doing my eyes closed. I just can't. I can't even get a rebound because it always goes in. Rebounding in life. I know all of us have hit a wall this past year. We 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 face things that we thought we would never face. We've been wearing masks, and we don't know if we need to wear a mask or don't need to wear a mask. We don't know if, if government's lying to us and Dr. Fauci is. One thing coming out of this pandemic that I've realized is this right here. You can manipulate the planet. And the word of God is true yes. that we're living in the last days, because people think everything's real that they read on social media. I'm preaching you. Some of you can quote social media more than you can quote the word of God. See, Pastor, how do you learn all those scriptures? How, how do you just memorize so much? I didn't do it to preach; I did it to live. I came out of a very negative family and I found out that no, I don't want to live that way. Because I believe God puts a blueprint in us. He gives us a picture of where he wants us to be. A snapshot. And if we'll walk with him we'll get to that picture. I never thought even when I was five, six, seven, eight years old, that I was supposed to be broke. Now I grew up in a poor family. You don't know what poor is. That's one level lower than poor. <laughs> I grew up in a poor family, but I never thought I was supposed to be poor. I had this picture in my mind of a beautiful home and a beautiful life. Blue I? sure. You know why I had you? Because I love your mom. God puts that blueprint. Come on, somebody. God puts that blueprint in you so you go there. But guess what keeps us from experiencing that? I've seen it in pastors. I've seen it in business leaders. I've seen it in in people who aspire to have a good life. It's just one thing. Check out our buildings and see our vision. Man, I want that. Then that same voice that I could never do How I mean, you know, God's not holding you back, you're holding you back. I'm going to say it one more time God's not holding you back. He says He gives grace to the humble. What's grace? Empowerment. So if I humble myself under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt me in due season. God's not holding you back. You say, well, my employer's holding me back. No, your employer's not holding you back. Read the story of Joseph. Joseph had a dream. He went through a lot of junk, but in the end, he was second in command of all Egypt. Why? Because he didn't lose his dream in prison. He didn't lose his dream when Potiphar's wife lied on him. He didn't lose his dream when he was thrown in a cistern by his brothers. He didn't lose his dream when he was sold into slavery. He didn't lose his dream when he washed his coat of many colors. I mean, don't allow, allow, uh, allow. adverse circumstances, situations, keep you from bouncing back. Joseph bounced back at every level of his life, and God blessed him. God blessed him. Not only did he bless him, but he preserved the nation of Israel through his family. Eventually, Jesus came to us through Joseph's family. Don't talk negative. If you need to change your words, start beginning to speak what God says about you. That you're more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. That you're the head and not the tail. You can do all things through him that strengthens you. God loves us. It's amazing that as parents, we give our kids, and as grandparents, we give our kids and grandkids everything they need that we think they need to succeed. But religion has programmed us to see God totally different. If we give good gifts, If my daughter, who is 13 years old, will text me and say, Dad, will you cash out, Ethan, some money so we can stop and get something? I like just hit one button on the phone. Send the money to Ethan. Now, sometimes Ethan takes a tip off the money. <laughs> you got to get his ball. If I'll do that for. life. Operating in the principles of Jesus gives you abundant life. There are a lot of people that have eternal life because they have received the person of Jesus, but they have a very negative life because they never put the principles of God's word into action. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for your blessings. Thank you, Lord, that we can rebound in life over difficult situations.
0: Bless your people here. For those that are